Will we always be ten, just like Bart Simpson? Or in another seventy years, will we still limp on? We're ten, huzzah! Happy birthday to us! Happy birthday to us! We want lots of attention and some lovely fuss. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. I like that. It's okay. It's okay. I tell you what, I'm going to be doing quite a lot during this episode is playing this from Gross Point Blank. Ten years, man! Ten, ten years! Ten years! Ten! Ten years! Ten years! When we started this show, listeners, Tony Blair was still Prime Minister. iPhones didn't exist yet, let alone iPads. Oh my God. You guys actually had somewhere to live. It was a different world. So what were our lives like ten years ago? Martin, what were you doing? What was your day job? Uh, God, what was I? So I was 28, so I was a medical physicist. I was lasering men's prostates. Um, Saving lives from cancer. What were you doing, Helen? I was not employed that much 10 years ago, which is uh, how uh, this came about. I was working at the culture show at the BBC as a researcher, and I used to spend my lunch times on a Wednesday listening back to each weekly episode of Answer Me This, as it was then, to write you my edit notes. And get this, listeners... Helen used to send me the episode on a CD in the post. Yeah, yeah, only for the first few, because then we got pretty high-tech, and I uploaded it to a secret MySpace profile. (laughs) Which was called (laughs) The Gina Gods, Gods. I think. uh, (laughs) It might still be there. there? And then somebody told me about uh, file transfer services, (laughs) and that saved us a lot of time. Well, loads of you have been getting in touch with your birthday messages. The first is from Neil in Leighton Buzzard. Neil says... My wife, Beth Sedgwick, gave birth listening to Answer Me This. <laughs> it got her through without an epidural. Wow. <laughs> There's a whole world of hypnobirthing that we could have capitalised on. Uh, our daughter, Jennifer, is now three years old. Aww. That's a pretty special time in your life to be listening to anything. Uh, when my wife was trying to give birth to our son, naturally, in the end we ended up having further medical intervention. These things happen. We listened to all three albums by Boy and Bear and I have not been able to listen to them since because of the association. I've had friends who have planned some really cool playlists for when their baby entered the world because they wanted that song to be top-notch, and then the timing hasn't worked out as it is want not to, and they've come into the world to the sound of moves like Jagger being played on the radio. (laughs) No! Yeah, or, you know, however delightful the Kings of Convenience album you've put on, it's not designed to be soundtracked with someone going, Fuck! (laughs) Eleanor from London says 10 years guys 10 years wow wow indeed thanks Eleanor wow 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 back at you reflecting on the past decade Helen answer me this Uh, she's got a few here okay what have been your favourite type of questions ones where I get to be nosy into the questionnaire's life yeah me too Mm. Uh, what do you hate being asked um I find questions about flatmates who are kind of annoying. I don't have that much to say beyond what I've already said. Yes. I sympathise with your pain, but I don't really have anything helpful to say. And which single question have you been asked more than any other? Why does Martin the Sandman's voice sound like that? Like what? Uh, I agree with you that the personal stories are my favourite. Favourites over the years, Cupcake Lady. Very good. That was the woman who had an office nemesis who brought in cupcakes that she'd clearly bought from the bakery but pretended to have baked them herself. Cake full of lies. There was also that one from the woman whose neighbour was washing her car without permission. That was my next choice as well. Amazing. And and the one, this was pretty early, I think it was a 17-year-old guy asking whether he should have an affair with his neighbour who was his mum's age. Yes. 
And in the end, he decided not to because she sent him some naughty pictures and he didn't fancy her anymore. Also, uh, the questions that we get asked a lot that we don't want to answer... It's been a few years now, so I'm almost loath to mention it. Oh, but for no. about six years, no, 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 no. There was the "Why don't you see white dog poo anymore?" question, and yeah. we don't even really know where that came from in popular culture. But it seemed to be a thing people used to ask. Often we got asked things that had been on QI or mm. on a Ricky Gervais show, so we didn't know that those questions had appeared elsewhere because we hadn't necessarily seen or heard those things. And then we'd get the same question five times in a week, and and that's how you knew. Also. Why do round pizzas come in a square box? Because making a round box is really hard. Yes. That's an expensive. Topology. Yes, yeah. and wasteful, because you're still getting a big sheet of cardboard and wasting bits of it. And uniform. You know, yeah. a round pizza doesn't have to be exactly the same size. It can spill over a bit, can't it squish in a square box? Why not just make more square pizzas? Blame the pizza, not the box. Easier to make a square pizza than a round box. We wouldn't normally answer questions which were pulling back the curtain on the workings of the show, but as it's the 10th birthday... Glimpse under the magician's glass. Uh, so here's uh, an email from Luke in Uganda, who says, I've listened religiously to your podcast for about four years while living in very odd parts of the world, and it's still one of the highlights of my week. Good. Thank you, Luke. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for taking the time to chat shit into a microphone. Please don't stop. Well, it's a bit more complicated than that, actually. <laughs> Ollie, answer me this. How do you make an episode of Answer Me This? <laughs> we go to the magic faraway tree and we clap our hands three <laughs> times and we summon the comedy fairy god um, and when the spirit moves us our process in brief yeah. is i turn up at helen's house or as she lives now in a cardboard box thank you we <laughs> fanatic open up uh our joint email account which you fondly know the address of we read genuinely the two of us do read every single one of your emails except some of them that we can't read because they're really long and they don't have any paragraph breaks and after a while our eyes get tired or if they're written in comic sans mm. um that's just prejudice but i'm Sorry. prepared to admit that we both have that prejudice was i born with it did i learn it don't know <laughs> the effect is the same i think it's experience mm. um anyway we do see all your emails we, we obviously don't have time to reply to all of them but we do read all of them there are lots that i want to reply to that is why there are over four thousand drafts in the draft box <laughs> yeah. and i'm really sorry and that after a few tea breaks and wee breaks uh the stereophonic <laughs> second album <laughs> <laughs> uh, does take about five or six hours yeah. um, and then we put together a big document of the questions that we both agree are interesting yes that we haven't answered before this is the thing you might be thinking why haven't they answered my question yeah. we may have I've done it I've got a killer before. question sorry sometimes no one you will do. have asked it before why is Humpty Dumpty an egg episode done 15 it. I yeah, think done it. we have actually repeated questions a couple of times couple accidentally Jean's Pocket and there was another one more recently uh, White Gloves we in the National Lottery uh, we yeah. can't bloody remember as far as we know those are the only two questions that we've actually done twice like, 5,000 yeah. either that or sometimes you ask a very good question but the answer is not that interesting so that's frustrating mm. or we think we're not that interesting on that subject correct so don't blame yourselves we decide amongst ourselves which of us is going to do the research or answer it but we don't necessarily know what each other is going to say so that you get this wonderfully spontaneous feeling that you're listening to now, listeners. I don't even know what I'm going to say. Who knows what magic is I going mean, to come out of I have no idea what, uh, about any of this stuff. I just turn up late and slightly drunk. What else does he want to know? He wants to know how do you choose the questions you answer? It's just whether it arouses our curiosity on the day. In fairness, there probably are some questions that we don't give a fair hearing to because no. on the day we like we just don't want to answer a question about chairs today. It'd be a really good question about chairs and it does get overlooked. It happens. Shit happens, people. Or, or sometimes you want to provide a home to all the questions about Disney. Yes, exactly. But if you've, to ration a, them out. if you've had a run of questions of Disney, you want to leave it a few episodes. But we just try our best. We, we just, just try, try our, our best, best to provide a mix. Luke's final question is, 
Well, he answered me this. If you don't answer this question, why not? Well, that's a meta question now, isn't it, Luke? Because we bloody have. We wouldn't have answered it if it hadn't been our 10th birthday episode. Because the truth is boring and we didn't want you to know how this show's made. <laughs> the answer is project management and the hard work. And, and I think, uh, if anything, this bit illustrates why we edit this show so fiercely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for phoning in and leaving uh, 10th birthday greetings such as these. Hello, Alex from Cumbria. Just calling to say uh, how much I appreciate your podcast over the last 10 years. It's gotten me through some very difficult, long journeys. Hi, Helen Nolly. It's Gemma from Cannock. I just wanted to phone and say thank you so much for the past 10 years. I don't think you will understand how much just a silly, funny comedy podcast I have meant to me all these years. Whenever I needed distraction or cheering up or if something wasn't right with the world, I would pick my phone up or my iPod and listen to you guys. And I credit you almost entirely with keeping me sane while I applied for medical school. And today I finished my first semester. Um, I've suffered bereavements and breakups and losing jobs and all of it has just been made that little bit more bearable through listening to you guys. So I just want to say a massive thanks and congratulations on reaching your 10-year milestone. Hi, Helen and Ollie. It's Naomi from Oxford. I'm about to turn 20 and I was 10 when I started listening to the podcast with my sister who was bedridden because of epilepsy. And me and my entire family have been listening to the podcast since year one. I first listened to Answer Me This nine and a half years ago on a flight to New Zealand when I was 19. My mum had just emigrated there, and I figured this new podcast that I've been hearing so much about would be a really good way to kill a 26-hour plane journey. Now, almost 10 years later, I'm 29, and I've just moved to New Zealand myself. My subscription to and enjoyment of Arts Media has been a valuable constant over the past decade of turbulent life choices. Thank you lots and lots from Helena, originally of Brighton, then Leeds, and now Auckland, and also my cat Meg, who I think you can hear in the background chasing something. Helen, Ollie, and Martin Salman, you guys have been my secret best imaginary friends for the past three years. So, happy 10th birthday. Keep up the good work. It's, uh, it's been fantastic. Thanks, guys. Oh. Wasn't that lovely? Oh, thanks, Thank you, thanks, listeners. You mean nearly as much to me as we do to you. Um, <laughs> so thank you very much there'll be more of those later but uh, well let's go on with some questions okay well this one's a treat for you Ollie mm-hmm. uh, because it is about one of your favourite subjects I think we can guess oh musicals the other one the other favourite subject uh, porn <laughs> musical porn yeah musical porn <laughs> seven brides for seven brothers <laughs> next must have a PMV section on that to be this uh it's from Anna from Edinburgh who says, I've been thinking about Mickey Mouse. Ah, Disney, yes. The yes. third, third favourite subject. Considering how Mickey is the mascot and the ultimate symbol of Disney, he hasn't been in many Disney movies. Yeah, one, I think. Fantasia. He has a memorable appearance in Fantasia, mm. but otherwise has been confined to a few shorts that no one remembers. Oh, I think his shorts are iconic, red and white spots. <laughs> <laughs> and there is no defining Mickey Mouse movie to point to, so Ollie, answer me this. Why, in our age of reboots and remakes, hasn't there been an attempt to make a Mickey Mouse movie? Ah, well, in our age of reboots and remakes, there has been an attempt to make a Mickey Mouse movie. In fact, there have been numerous attempts, uh, if the leaks from within the Walt Disney Company are to be believed. Is it like the superhero films where they go from being kind of shiny and primary coloured to being all dark and gritty and like, ooh, what about their psyches? More like the Avengers. So you know how in recent years the thing for comic book fans has been getting together loads of different characters from different franchises and putting them in one movie? 
they've thought about doing that. And apparently there was a movie being developed which got very close to fruition a few years ago called The Search for Mickey Mouse, which was an Avengers-style film in which uh, I think Mickey gets kidnapped, Minnie has to find him somehow, and ends up employing Basil the Great Mouse Detective from the 1984 shit kids film. Uh, And along the way... (laughs) Uh, meets lots of other Disney classic characters. Peter Pan's there, Alice, Mary Poppins, etc. Fox and Hound. Basil yeah. the Great Mouse Detective does not fit in with all those iconic characters. I know, right? It might be that the uh, original animators might have been brought back on board. You know, some of these guys that are in their 80s and 90s, but if, if Disney... No, you really mean original, because yeah, I thought yeah. you were joking. Like, uh, they've been brought back from the dead, like Walt Disney and his cryogenic head. No, because like, you know, some of them are still very much able to draw. You know, they get wheeled out for these sort of TV specials and stuff anyway, and it would be a sort of nerds tribute film mm. it would be a bit like who framed roger rabbit but now um mm. so you get lots of classic cartoon characters all in one movie and anyway it got shelved and the reason i think that it got shelved and over the past 20 or 30 years all attempts to put mickey mouse into a feature film have been shelved is this mm-hmm. mickey mouse is a crap character there i said yeah. it mickey mouse wow. represents love friendship virtue all these things that, you know, as a parent you want your child to exhibit. But that's boring for a film storyline. Mm. A plot needs jeopardy. It needs weakness. It needs someone to do something, like, a little bit precarious and interesting. It's why Little mm. Women focuses on Joe and not Beth. Sure. Fine. <laughs> I think the calculated risk for the Disney company was, if we fuck this up, if you think Mickey Mouse and you think massive film that bombed, mm. that's of no benefit to the corporation. Mm. That's bad, isn't it? But Mickey as the symbol for the corporation, meaning bland friendship. He's a he's a corporate logo. That's really he? powerful, yeah. yeah. He's like the Apple logo exactly. or, the, or the Nike swoosh. So he's too important to put in a shit film. Oh. Right, that makes a lot of sense. They also don't need a Mickey Mouse film to shift Mickey Mouse merch. No, exactly. Mm. Because parents just buy it habitually for their children anyway because of what they grew up with. And it's not like Mickey has disappeared from kids' lives. I think adults look around and they're like, well, I haven't seen Mickey for 20 years apart from in teddy bear form. So well, he's been in rehab. How, <laughs> how will three-year-olds respond when they go to Disneyland and they don't know who he is? And the answer is, on the Disney Channel, there's fuckloads of Mickey. You just don't mm. know it until you're a parent. When you're a parent and your kid's watching the Disney Channel, there are all these ropey TV shows with CGI Mickey in. So the kids know who Mickey is, but it's not the big investment and risk of having a theatrical right. release that bombs. And there's a third and final reason, which is when it comes to the big movies and the accompanying merchandise, they tend, and I'm not saying this is right, in fact, I, my instinct says it's wrong, but they tend to be gendered. Yeah. You know, we're going to do a Cars movie, that's for boys, we're going to do a Princess movie, that's yeah. for girls. That is important because that then dictates what everyone buys their kids for Christmas that year. And if Mickey is the centrepiece, well, yeah, everyone loves Mickey, yeah, but that's not going to provide an explosion in Mickey toys to one gender or the other. It's not going to be the must-have toy. But you could have uh, gendered characters within that. You could. Well, maybe they should bust through this gendering because it's all bollocks anyway. It's absolutely bollocks. That Disney are perpetuating. Did Mickey and Minnie have children? (laughs) Because mice are prolific breeders. Uh, No, I I guess that's why they enjoy the company of other people's children so much. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm satisfied with that answer. Good. Have another treat for you, Ollie. What more? I can't handle more treats (laughs) on this. I think you are going to find this treat quite hard to handle. Okay. Um, Because um, Heath Sledge (laughs) wrote in. I know what you're thinking. Who's Heath Sledge? You're right to think that. Wait. Well, she (laughs) is the wife of Robert Sledge, who used to be in Ben Folds 5. Now, this... 
This like, pretty I mean, I get a boner just thinking about this. So, I, I mean, actually, when <laughs> I was gross. like 16, Ben Folds 5 with the first band that I really properly loved. Lovely choice. Like, I grew mm. up loving sort of R.E.M. and Michael Jackson, but like properly loving in a way that I'd have posters on my wall. It was Ben Folds 5 when I was 16. And they're a trio, if you don't know, even though they're ironically It's a joke, it's a joke, yeah. it's a funny joke. And so one of the three is Robert Sledge, and his wife has written to us. Yes. What did she say, Helen? They'd noted that one of our jingles is in the style of Ben Folds 5. Can I just say I took that as a huge compliment, because I cannot play the piano. Yeah, I, I, I'm amazed that they... Uh, we, we still haven't worked out whether the one that they think is in the style of Ben Folds 5 <laughs> is the one that you deliberately did <laughs> in the style of Ben Folds 5. I've done a song in the style of Ben Folds 5. I think it's one we used to play uh, touting our archive episodes. Yes, I think it's that one too. Yeah. It sounds a bit like the beginning of Underground. Anyway, Robert Sledge has uh, provided a jingle for Answer Me This. I'm stoked. The last 10 years have finally been worthwhile. <laughs> if you've got a question, then email your question. If you've got a question, then email your question. podcast at googlemail.com Answer me this Here's a question from Ben who says, I lent my very expensive dehydrator to a friend. Wow. Is that the same thing as a dehumidifier? No, it's one of those things where you can dry out fruit and things. Oh, what's the point of that? Ooh. So you can, so have you can dry out fruit. fruit. So you can make your own dried fruit? Yeah. Mm. Okay, fine. And, and a- vegetables. There's a whole Friends episode about it. Okay. When Weird Eddie is living with Chandler... And instead of a foosball, it's a dried watermelon or something. Whereas a dehumidifier is a thing you plug in the corner of the room that sucks the air out of the room and takes no, the water it sucks, away. It sucks the moisture out of the room to make your air less damp. To make your walls less uh, soggy. I, suppose, I yes. suppose they both remove moisture. Okay, yeah, But the fine. intent is different. Yeah, I mean, you're The scale and operation are the difference. Eat, rather yeah. than environment to be in. You don't think you can make dried fruit with a dehumidifier. Okay, but you can just make, just be clear, you can make dried fruit with like a grill, can't you? Yeah. My brother used to do it by putting um, nectarines in the airing cupboard to dry. <laughs> That's kind of delightfully forward-thinking and Victorian at the same time somehow. Very confusing if you grabbed one instead of a fresh towel. <laughs> <laughs> but delightful in a we way. We just made it work. Um, anyway, Ben's tale continues. Mm-hmm. He, he lent his friend his dehydrator. Very expensive dehydrator. Mm. I then disappeared to work overseas for six months. Mm-hmm. Okay. Six months. I have now returned. Hooray! I met up with this friend, this so-called friend, on Saturday, and we had a pleasant day, but we did not discuss the dehydrator. Did it talk about me while I was away? (laughs) Did it miss me? I suppose with six months of overseas gossip to catch up on, you wouldn't automatically leap to discussing the kitchen implements you'd loaned out before you left. You wouldn't. I wouldn't. You wouldn't. Ben had this burning ben, question. You and Ben are cut the, from different cloth. <laughs> of his brain, we are, yeah. I don't even know what dehydrator is. To him, it's the world. <laughs> I sent my friend a little message today asking if she was finished with it. Can and, you ever be finished with a dehydrator? Uh, yeah, it's an ongoing project, isn't it? Well, there's still hydration in the world. <laughs> there's so much moisture out there. Suck it away. Uh, and if so, whether I might be able to have my dehydrator back as I have things in need of dehydration. <laughs> 
My friend told me. <laughs> have a really wet apple. <laughs> my friend told me that she thinks my dehydrator might have been given to a charity shop by ah! her mother-in-law. Ah, no! What? No! Ah. No offer of compensation or assistance was made. Oh, no. The dehydrator was my most grown-up purchase to date. It and does seem grown-up. Well, now that's interesting. What's the most grown-up purchase that you've made? <laughs> Ask someone else. <laughs> it's true, you don't even have a car, do you? Sofa, you've bought a sofa. Oh, God, yeah, that was pretty Computers, grown up. that's grown-up. I'd say my most grown-up purchase to date was uh, a new boiler. That's very That's grown-up. really very dull. Grown-up, yeah. Is grown-up equals dull? Yeah, something expensive from which you derive little to no pleasure. Mm. Exactly. Now, I agree, but Ben's end of sentence says, uh, the dehydrator was my most grown-up purchase today, and as such was sentimental. Now, if mm. something grown-up is something boring, mm. it's not usually something well, sentimental no, about. It has a significance. It's a milestone it in your life, isn't it? You know, paint that boiler. I don't care. As long as it works and it's keeping the water you're an warm. You know that you've got that boiler. Yeah. You're grown-up. Anyway, it had sentimental as well as monetary value, says, says Ben. Uh, How much is a dehydrator? I don't, I don't well, know. Well, you can, you can get them from a few dozen pounds, but a lot of these... A few dozen he's pounds. Saying, he's saying it's very expensive. It's a conventional so, measurement so of like, Three score pounds. Well, like, you can basically get some racks to do it that are not that expensive, but if he's saying very expensive, well, I, reckon, I reckon about 150 quid. 150 quid 150 seems to be quid. like the more elaborate dehydrator. Yeah. I think if you're buying a dehydrator rather than using a more analog form of dehydration, then that's what you're probably looking at. You need your dried fruit. 50 to 150 quid. Right. Okay. I'm not sure, says Ben, how I feel about my friend now. I think, wow. I think uh, we're, we're guessing. <laughs> I I'm trying to work out which of the five stages of grief is. If, if she was a fruit, your, your affection would have been sucked out of her like the moisture from that apricot. I'm a bit worried that she's going to be sliced up into bits and dehydrated. <laughs> well, that's probably why she lost the dehydrator. Why Do did you... her mother-in-law even have it? <laughs> so, Helen, answer me this. Do you think I should call the feds or hold her cat ransom? Dehydrate the cat. Uh, or should I just quietly forget about it? I'm not sure I want to forget about it. You can't, there's sentimental attachment. Uh, if you have any advice, I'd be very grateful to hear it. Uh, well, I think and it's then like... I'll print it out and dehydrate that. Dehydrate my tears. <laughs> I think it's slightly difficult because you've already had the conversation where she said, oh, I think my mother-in-law might have given it to the charity shop. But I think you could try a follow-up in a few days saying, oh, any luck finding my dehydrator yet? Yes. Mm. And then when she's like, ah, sorry, no, then I think you have to go, well, I was kind of expecting that back mm. and it did cost me quite a lot of money, but then I'd probably be too pathetic to really drive that to its conclusion, which I mean, is give I... me my dehydrator all the money. If it's your birthday coming up, though, you could just sort of go, oh, it'd be quite nice to have a dehydrator for my birthday. Yeah, but actually, it's still a net loss there, isn't there, for yeah. him? I mean, he has no dehydrator, then he'll have a dehydrator, but no birthday present. Well, unless she wasn't going to get him a birthday present. Yeah, but what if he gets an inferior dehydrator from her than Maybe. the one he bought himself? He got a very expensive dehydrator. Mm. Maybe she should just get him a shopping spree in Holland and Barrett. All the dried fruit he wants... But, yes. you know, they're not saying they can compete with his own home-dried. Look, buy a man some dried fruit and he has dried fruit for a day. <laughs> buy him a dehydrator and he can dry everything. Uh, I mean, I've been on the other side of that guilt trip on a much smaller scale. But um, Helen, very kindly, about six years ago, lent me your copy of Heathers on DVD. Oh, oh that's good. That's the the great commentary from the uh, screenwriter. Oh, yeah. What happened? I, I only saw the film. And it has some great impact. It talks about the influence of John Hughes. And, right, uh, okay. Yeah, it's really good. Well, I wouldn't know because I lost the DVD. You did? And then a few years later, Helen was like, yeah, have you got my copy of Heathers? It <laughs> came up conversationally. 
And so I said, no, because I thought if I said, oh, yeah, you lent it to me and I've lost it. Hmm. I mean, you look like a bit of a, a selfish it, twat. Don't if you? it was worth 150 quid, fine, I would have said that. But I knew at that point a Heather's DVD was worth about three quid because who uses DVDs anymore apart from his coasters? <laughs> so it's quite difficult then. If you're the person who's lost it, doesn't know where it is, it may well have ended up in a charity shop by mistake with my DVDs. But that's all how right. To, how to deal with it? That's all right because that is a replaceable object for not much money. Yeah. And also now I probably wouldn't have dvds anyway because uh, yeah but that's my fault that i kept the thing you lent me for so long that it lost all purpose as function see at this point i've just got used to the fact that if i lend someone something there's a good chance i'm not going to get it back so books um i lent to jeffrey craner from night vale my favorite tote bag which had um, get that back i hope so well you will now you're publicly shaming him <laughs> what, which and tote bag it wasn't is his it? fault I just if you see Jeffrey Kramer with his tote bag what is it I did a sort of feminist creative arts festival in uh, Oslo in 2015 <laughs> called Femme Brutal and well, they gave me niche. this tote bag yeah. and it has this amazing graphic on it's quite 70s sure. uh, style art of some women with their tits out if it's you really see Jeffrey with that tote bag if he's using it then I'll be kind of pleased last year I did lose something with significant sentimental value which was my engagement ring oh yes so that was pretty bad. Did you get it back? No. How did you lose it? I don't know if I know I, this story. I'm not sure I know exactly where I lost it. I think I lost it when I was staying in a hotel in LA. And I think it's not impossible that one of the staff may have pocketed it mm. when tidying my room. But I didn't really want to go down that avenue. And it was vintage, wasn't it? It was an antique ring. So, so you can't even get the same one again. No, exactly. it wasn't high cash value. It was more what it meant because that's my engagement ring. So Martin was like, I mean, it was no fruit one. dehydration device. No, it wasn't that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can feel a fraction to... of your agonies, <laughs> yeah. Ben. Um, it's hard to truly sympathise. Yeah. And I think since then, I've just thought, okay, it's just objects. It's just objects. Mm. You have the things that matter, which are the people in your life. Mm. Um, but the thing is, like, obviously objects matter because otherwise we wouldn't have museums, would we? Exactly. And we wouldn't have dried fruit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I have that much need to dehydrate things. I quite like the hydration in things. Maybe Me I'm old-fashioned in that way. Yeah, well, I'm someone who doesn't drink as much water as I should, so I kind of need to take hydration where I can find ah, it. Ah, good point. You know. Although I can see why people might need dehydrators if, they're, you know, if they like using plants as medicine, mm. say. But uh, if it's gone, it's gone. And so you're going to have to get used to the fact that you've lost this thing of sentimental value. If it's of sentimental value, then you can't necessarily transfer it to someone else who doesn't have the same sentimental attachment. Now, something that is of huge sentimental value are the first 200 episodes. Uh, You can buy the first 200 episodes of Answer Me This from our website, answermethisstore.com. And they're an absolute bargain. Yes, 79 pence each, I believe. That's right. Well, it's 7.99 for 10. So uh, if you divide 7.99 by 10, you don't quite get 79 pence, but close enough as that. 79.9 pence (laughs) each. Yeah, that's right. You see why that's cumbersome to say. like 80 pence. That's inflation, isn't it? Yes, but critically, Martin, 0.1p less than 80 pence or if you're american a dollar which is probably easier to remember a book they call it a book they don't call it a book martin they call it a book yeah. no, they martin, don't call it a book they say it's a book they don't call it a book <laughs> they don't call it a book martin sorry yeah, two so against it's, one it's, yes it's, so it's, democracy if, if you want to get those episodes it's a book each <laughs> there is also the answer me this book but <laughs> <laughs> and that really is of no money which is worse for less than um, a dollar yeah. and as you know in every new shiny episode of answer me this we like to take you on a trip down memory lane for in, the intermission in, in the form of our intermission yes but We've got a special treat for you, <laughs> sort of, <laughs> By that, in this special it's, edition. It's, it's more like an anti-treat for us, because <laughs> it's a temptation for us to crank up the price of our early work 
so that fewer people hear it. <laughs> but the problem is that that would create more mystique around it for yes. people and they might think it is worth more. Whereas- well, it, and it kind of would be. Like in market value terms, you know, if, if there was more scarcity, then it would be rarer. Nonetheless, we have decided to play you a little bit of our very first episode. Our today. very first episode. What did this show sound like 10 years ago? <laughs> Brace yourself. Uh, this is young Helen and Ollie. This is like Muppet Babies, but for Answer Me This. Forgive us. <laughs> Oliver, what's our first question from the listening public? Well, uh, we've had a question from a lady called Claire. Answer me this. Uh, when I'm constipated, why am I unable to think of anything else? Oh, Claire, my sympathies go out to you. Yeah, my sympathies too. You, you... I mean, I, I don't. I very rarely get constipated. I'm regular as clockwork, frankly. <laughs> What's but... your secret? <laughs> I'm a Scientologist, um, <laughs> but um, I, I have had that once um, uh, when I was about eleven. And my God, it is like trying to, you know, push an oatcake through a keyhole. <laughs> that's a, why don't you just crumble it up? In the, that's an interesting analogy. It's incredibly painful. So I'm not surprised that your mind doesn't, you know, is, is incapable of going on to other things. But it's a shame that it is because then you could go on to things like eating prunes. That's what my Jewish grandmother swears by. But on the other hand, she manages to constipate herself again by eating so many anti-constipation remedies that actually <laughs> <laughs> she goes around and bums her up again. Listeners, you will know, of course, by this point that you can send us questions in the form of voicemails to the Answer Me This question line and you reach that by dialing the following number. 0208123 Or you can type Answer Me This into Skype. And, as we've been saying for the past few episodes, if the whole not having a voicemail greeting from Helen anymore thing freaks you out... Mm. Email us a voice memo if that makes you feel better. Anyway, this person managed. <laughs> Hi, Helen and Ollie. Uh, it's Simon from Bolton. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Did the guy who first designed the Campbell's soup can or anyone from the Campbell's soup company make any money out of the Andy Warhol paintings? Because they, they drew it first. So surely surely it's their, it's their art, not his. Under law, American law, Fine art, which you can have a debate about whether or not ripping off a soup can and turning it into a canvas is fine art, but there you are, that's modernism. Isn't it postmodernism? Well, pop art, isn't it? Uh, whatever. Look at this debate. I mean, <laughs> would it stand up in a court of law? Very difficult. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, you see the problem. Andy Warhol's work, as it is art of some description, was governed under the laws of fine art. Mm-hmm. Okay. Under the laws of fine art, there is no such thing as copyright if you're reproducing something you've seen with your own eyes. So okay. if you are reproducing a street scene, you know, Monet didn't get charged copyright for drawing lilies that he spotted in a pond, right? I know I've just oversimplified horribly, but you see what I mean? <laughs> Basically um, all there is to it. Um, he should be paying royalties to ever design that little bridge. So, so Andy Warhol owed no royalties for reproducing the Campbell's soup can in art form. Yeah, it did seem to be a more direct reproduction than art often is. Yes, but it is a painting. Yes, that's true. So it isn't the can, it is a representation of the can. It's Uh just the same as if you'd taken a photograph of it. Where Andy Warhol got in trouble, which is quite interesting, is when he based his artwork on a photograph. Because the Ah. photograph is subject to its own artistic copyright by the photographer. Right, so if someone had taken a photo of the Campbell's soup can and then he had done his painting of that, then it would be different to him just painting the soup can. Which is exactly what happened with his other iconic 
portrait of Marilyn Monroe. Wow! That was some bloke's picture of Marilyn Monroe, and there were lawsuits against Andy Warhol for taking other people's photos and reproducing them. Did he manage to turn those lawsuits into art? <laughs> anyway, um, the Campbell Soup Company themselves mm. were quite pleased with this association. Uh, and in fact, on letters of note, there is the letter from the marketing manager of Campbell's Soup in the 1960s. Of course. And uh, Warhol said that he he ate Campbell's Soup every day for like 20 years. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's right. Yeah. That helps as well. Lived off Campbell's Soup and Coca-Cola. How revolting is that? So was, that was that thing that um, David Bowie in the 70s was eating uh, peppers and drinking milk? And that was his diet. Thin white puke, more like. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, the marketing director wrote to Warhol and said, um, thanks for this. We'd actually like to buy one, but you're too expensive for us now. Oh. Um, but we've heard that you like our soup, so I've arranged for two uh, cartons of, not two cartons, like two crates yeah. of cartons of tomato soup to be delivered to you. Well, As they did, they sent Andy Warhol like 50 free cartons of soup. That's nice of them. And that was that. All the way up until Warhol's death, they right. had a kind of friendly arrangement whereby Campbell's were like, we're happy with this association. Yeah. And Warhol was able to say, it's art. I'm not using your imagery. Mm-hmm. Then when Andy Warhol died and he himself became a kind of properly iconic figure and people were reproducing his work, mm-hmm. his depiction of a Campbell's soup can then became itself something that was being moved out of the context of an art gallery. So it's stuck on a T-shirt. Yes. Mm-hmm. And at that point... It's not fine art anymore. It's graphic design again. Exactly. So at that point, if you'd just taken the original Campbell Soup label and put it on a t-shirt, then of course you would owe Campbell's Soup a royalty. It's not art. Mm-hmm. Mm. If you take a picture of Andy Warhol's art of a Campbell Soup label and put it on a t-shirt, you actually technically owe a royalty to Campbell Soup and to the Andy Warhol estate. Huh. So that's the arrangement they struck up. So there is now a trading relationship between the Warhol estate and the Campbell Soup Company for any merchandise when they put it on a pencil case, but not for the original paintings. That's very interesting. Yeah, isn't it? It's fucked up. It's such a weird world in which there, <laughs> there has to be such a pivotal and lucrative uh, business arrangement between a tin soup company and a fine artist. Yeah, 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 it's amazing, isn't it? But then again, you know, if someone took your soup design and put it in a gallery, you would think, that's really cool. And if yeah. someone sold hundreds of millions of T-shirts, you would think, I deserve some of that money. Like, yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah, of common course. sense, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with it, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dennis Hopper was one of the first people to buy uh, an Andy Warhol Campbell soup canvas, $100. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yes. He was a, he was a big old art collector, wasn't he? Him and um, Steve Martin was the other well, one, wasn't it? The thing is, I, I imagine he just turned up to stuff like off his tits on drugs yeah. and just said, well, I've got some money, here goes. I don't know if he was a man of great taste or whether he was just in the right place, right time, part of that milieu, you know? Well, I think later in his life he, he was known for his collection, wasn't he? I mean, uh, I'm only going on um, sort of documentaries I've seen about yeah, him. Yeah, well, I'm going on no knowledge at all, so <laughs> I think you'll find that's better. Post-truth universe, so <laughs> who's in the right? I think Naomi Campbell has one as well. Oh, right, yeah, well, now Campbell Soup have one too. Oh, they can afford it now. Yeah, they they, they're doing quite well for themselves. From the pencil case, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there is one hanging in their lobby now. That's yeah. a, that would be ironic if they literally used the money for the marketing <laughs> of the thing of the, that's a reproduction of their thing to buy so a, they the could original buy piece of art. Their yeah. own label. Can yeah. they just paint their own version of Andy Warhol's can? Oof, I, my because legal brain is struggling to work out the rights they, issues there. Then they're doing mm. an art of his art. Yes, yes, of they their could. Thing. They could. Yes. Mm. And it would be churlish of the Warhol Trust to say Campbell's. Knock <laughs> it off. This was his idea, yeah. <laughs> but I suppose it took his brain to contextualise it as art and they just thought it's soup. 
So What did te- contextualise it as art? Just the force of his willpower? Basically, that's how art works, Martin. Mm. Isn't he part of that generation of artists that kind of conceptualises the idea and actually gets lots of other people to create the, the that's, artwork? That's artists throughout time. Like, Rembrandt had people doing it for him. A lot of medieval painters did. So that's a pretty normal thing. But I don't really understand that. Like, if you're an artist, surely the pleasure is in making the art and not coming up with an idea and yeah, go right, right I'm going to say the art is the idea itself and yeah. taking an everyday object and turning it you're making a statement by putting in a gallery something that you know next to a, a picture by Picasso you put in something that's taking you no effort at all and then you're saying what is art and that's the point I've had a lot Ugh. of these chats with my dad as he's a sculptor and sculptures take him many many months or years mm. and someone who does objet trouvé they can just uh, get it done in an afternoon. Now, what's you, that? It's where you find an object and you present it as art, even if you have not created the object yourself. Right, yeah, yeah. So he's very pissed off at that. But really, who's smarter? Well, or him? Yeah, I mean, and, and the the art is actually your dad being pissed off. That's the bit that's the art, actually, isn't it? It's the yeah, reaction. Should, if you ignore it, then it's not worth anything. It, you know, if I'd videoed that, it would be in the Tate Modern by now. <laughs> so I'm the idiot. Hello, this is Martha from Kent. I featured on episode 299 talking about my husband's secret personal trainer and I wanted to thank you for your advice because it actually helped and it was also brilliant to be able to email you in my fit of rage and get it all out and that helped me feel better even if you hadn't answered it and also uh, an update I've now got my own personal trainer so it's happy ever after. So thanks, guys. Everything you do. Love you. Bye. Hello, Helen, Ollie and Martin. This is Jenny from Vancouver. I am also known as the Anonymous Cupcake Lady from episode 271. I'm calling to wish you a happy 10-year anniversary and to tell you why you all matter to me. In the great scheme of things in life, I think it's the little things that make a difference. And you guys make me laugh. Not just a little bit, but a lot. And I'm a cynical bitch, so my friends will tell you how hard that is. Classy gave me my 15 minutes of fame, so yeah, there's that too. Hi, Helen, Ollie, and of course, Martin the Soundman. Um, I'm just ringing to wish you all a happy 10th anniversary. Um, I started, this is Ed from what was London and now Ed from Leeds. Um, I started listening about episode 50 or 60, and I was lucky enough to be invited to a show in the Roundhouse. That weekend was actually uh, the weekend of my son's first birthday. And since uh, then, uh, he's grown up. Now he's now an eight-year-old and he's got, two, he's got two sisters, a five and a one-year-old as well. Um, and now to me, this has very much been the backdrop to a lot of the midnight feeds, the drives in the car, trying to get them all to sleep. Um, so it's been very much part of the family. So I just wanted to thank you for all the, uh, all the episodes you've done so far and say how much I'm looking forward to all the ones you're going to do further on. Lots of love. Hi, Helen, Ali, I'm Martin Sama. What answer me this means to me is that in 2007, you answered my question about whether mints have laxative effects. And I've been sitting on the toilet ever since. So it's starting to bloody lot. Bye. This episode of Answer Me This was sponsored by our old friends Squarespace. And they are our old friends. They've Aren't been they? with us through thick and thin, or actually not in the early days. Mainly just the thick. Maybe just the thick. <laughs> Squarespace, thank you very much for your support over the last few years mm. and also for allowing people to build websites that work and look good and are user-friendly and mm. idiots like us have managed to build them. Yeah, I'd say enabling rather than allowing. Enabling. They've enabled <laughs> us to be less bad at website I'd, I'd even go as far to say empowered. 
forgive me for getting a bit like drinking the corporate Kool-Aid here, but Squarespace empower you to make a beautiful website. All right. Well, that's a thrilling message. True man. And if you want to uh, do that, then you go to squarespace.com and have a go because you get a free two-week trial. And then if you want to go ahead and make the website that you've been playing around with for two weeks a beautiful reality on the internet, a thing people can actually see, then all you do is uh, hand over your credit card details and get 10% off by using our code... Answer. answer and you get a free domain chucked in as well by the way that is very handy your name.com if it's available your name.info if it isn't <laughs> <laughs> your name.fashion if you fancy hello hello Manole. uh this is adam working out of waterloo here um answer me this uh you know the old idiom of a file in a cake being used as a method to a break out of prison um, is that something that has come from literature or was, was that something that really happened at one point? Has anybody ever managed to break out of a prison using just a, a file smuggled in in some sort of birthday confectionery? Answer me that. The file in a cake trope uh, has been used in real life, yes. Whoa. Um, although there are more records, I guess sort of understandably, there are more records of plots being foiled that involved cakes than plots being successful because often prisoners escape and no one knows how they did it otherwise they would have stopped them (laughs) yes good point i'm surprised that they allow prison visitors to bring in cake then (laughs) it's a non-essential thing isn't it because also you can hide surely a lot of drugs in there or you know all sorts when they say baked a file in a cake Mm -hmm. i have trouble visualizing the file because in my mind it just goes to a a nail file which is not going to get you out of prison at all something in between that and a chainsaw is what they mean like the in large, between in, a nail file and a chainsaw yeah, so like, something quite big like a saw do you not saw. do CVT yeah. classes yeah I, I, I'm very handy so I you know make what a tables file Martin don't patronise me so how do you know, no, no, not know right. what a file looks it like it is like a supersized nail file but it's not as big as a saw right Yeah. so something like a chisel but rougher yes yeah like right. a chisel yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. Yeah. With, um, a, with a rough edge the earliest example of a reference to jail cake uh, is 1804 uh, a compendium of criminal behaviour shows the pickpocketer William Blewett in the USA uh, being pardoned from his seven years aboard a prison ship by dobbing in his fellow inmates, and they were trying to utilise this very plot. I wonder how they were going to get off the prison ship and survive. You because you drown. Yeah, you'd think, wouldn't you? You can't swim to shore with a file. Because I'm assuming they didn't put the prison ships right next to the shore. I think that this was before the ship had set sail. Oh. He'd got wind of the fact that they were getting gingerbread cakes delivered on, on board somehow. And within the gingerbread cakes were escape tools and weapons. Mm. I think also on a ship, obviously, you've got the possibility of mutiny. So, uh, you know, you, it's not so much a case of you just jumping off into the sea as you taking control of the ship or killing the captain or hijacking him. Of course. I suppose the staff of a prison ship are at some risk. Yeah, exactly. At that point, you'd say, you know what, I don't care if you're a pickpocket, mate. We're in the middle of the Atlantic. Fine. I'll go wherever <laughs> you want. I think the uh, most exciting instance that I found of the cake technique being used uh, would be the third president of Ireland, Eamon de Valera. Um, He was imprisoned in 1916 uh, during the Easter Rising. Uh, Whilst he was in there, during Mass, he uh, borrowed the master key of the chaplain. Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, whilst the church service was going on, imprinted it into wax candles in the church. 
Old favourite, that, the wax imprint of a key. Is it? I mean, you've watched a lot more Columbo than me. I've never seen that happen. I've read books. Anyway, by making an impression of the uh, master key, he could send the mould to his conspirators on the outside and they created for him a key so that he could then just walk out. And how did that work? And it came back in a cake, is the important thing. The metal key came back in a cake. Even sending out the wax... Because prisons usually check what the prisoners are sending out, don't they? So wouldn't they be like, oh, it seems perfectly normal to send someone a big blob of wax. Nothing weird there. You know, he was in prison effectively as a terrorist, but there were those around him who saw him as a freedom fighter. Probably easier for him to manage to get it out. Um, But anyway, he did. The metal key came back in a cake and he walked out. Um, But they did have complications. It was only the second one that worked. Is there any data on what kind of cake is is usually used for this? Is it like a dense fruit cake? Is it something very frilly? I think, again, as to avoid suspicion, it's often the dullest and blandest and brownest cake. So fruit cake uh, probably fruit cake yeah and of course as well you're not going to notice the weight there either mm, are you? good point it's heavy anyway you, you might even if it went off in the metal detector say oh yeah put a coin in there for good luck well yeah because that's mm. traditional fruit cake isn't it having yeah. metal intrusions yes a coin and a revolver <laughs> good luck in our family <laughs> how do they stop the the, the file spoiling the flavor of the cake they not, might not, not eat the cake, Martin. I'm not sure the culinary properties of the cake are that important. Prisoners will happily eat a <laughs> no. condom full of cocaine. No, but if, <laughs> I wouldn't say happily. <laughs> no, sure. But I mean, you know, it's a workaday scenario. <laughs> but wouldn't you, rather, wouldn't you rather have a fruitcake? And if you're, if you're someone who's a baker, wouldn't that be like a... Like, wouldn't you take a certain amount of pride in your job? My imagination is so limited um, that I don't know what I would do with the file once I, once I got it. Mm. Well, I mean, the problem is, the answer is, of course, manual labour. Yeah. You know, which, I mean, if I end up in prison, it will probably be... I mean, I don't want to <laughs> speculate. But if but, you're investigating Only Man for anything, it would be... It would, some sort of Jewish white-collar crime, right? That's why I would go to prison. So if that ever happened to me, I'm not going to be the guy who's going to be hacksawing my way out with a file that came in a fucking cake. I mean, I, if I'm, like, <laughs> having to dig out my smart shoes from under the cupboard under the stairs for more Nightmare. than five minutes, I'm just in pain being on my hands and knees and craning my neck and not being able to see properly... You know, and I'm just getting a bit of sweat down the back of my neck. It's just like, oh, God, I hate this. I hate my life. And the idea of spending 12 hours filing out of a toilet. You'd rather just, just wait out the rest of your sentence, I think you? I, genuinely, I would wow. rather just, I'd just rather, like, get into the Bible, take it, read that. Oh, I thought you meant by being such a pious prisoner that you'd no. be written about it by I biblical scholars. I, I, you know, I know that that book is available there. I would just read it. You know, it wouldn't be my first choice. A lot but of stories in it. A lot of cracking exactly, stories. You know, and I'm sure I'd get some sort of sucker out of it, more than trying to dig my way out of a toilet. Hello. We're Tom and <laughs> Jenny and drunk on uh, New Year's Eve just before midnight. <laughs> We've listened to your show for quite a while now. Uh, I introduced Jamie to it a long time ago. Um, she's my fiance. We're getting married in May of next year. Happy 10th birthday! Um, so I started listening to Anthony this when I was 16. I'm now 22, and you guys have absolutely guided me through all of the shittiness that happens when you're turning from a teenager into a sort of adult. You were there for me through my first love, my first heartbreak, when I moved away from home, um, through a shitty Arabic degree, um, and now you're with me as I moved to the West Bank. Um, When I was about 20, the boy who I was in love with, who was the first person I'd ever been in love with, broke up with me and said that I should really meet the girl who he'd been shagging on the side because, I quote, 
guys are really similar. She loves Anthony this too. So yeah, if she's listening, fuck you. Two years later and I'm still angry. Hi, I'm Richard in Gibraltar. Uh, I just wanted to, well first, apologise for being a little drunk and quite ill. Uh, but I just want to say thank you. Uh, I have been listening since episode 28. And for the past nine years or so, uh, from the age, for my, for my age of 17 until now, I've turned 26. You've been a constant in my life. And uh, I've gone through no heartbreak or relationships where I've needed you to be happy or sad or yeah, or even you've not really represented any massive milestone in my life but just that constant for such a long time thank you very much for the last decade I truly appreciate it Hello Helen and Ollie it's Lexi from London and um, I just wanted to say that I really appreciate you still sticking around even if it's only for once a month now I totally get it I don't want to get out of bed more than once a month either Solidarity. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. Super fun. Here's a question from Joe in Seattle who says, Helen, answer me this. In the UK, did you historically have bears? Yes. Oh. Uh, we had Eurasian brown bears, uh, but they have not been here for about a thousand years, probably because they were overhunted. There are still 17,000 brown bears in Europe, but I think it's because if the population dips somewhere, then um, it will start to revivify somewhere else. And then because it's not an island like Britain is, they can spread around. But people are campaigning to have wild bears reintroduced to Britain. I think the problem is that the habitats aren't really there Uh for such wild animals. Like, even the national parks in Britain are really too small and have too much human intervention in them. Uh, so that's the problem. Where are the bears going to live? That they also won't altercate with humans. What about Scotland? But maybe, maybe there are some hiding somewhere in Britain because they thought that um, beavers were extinct from Britain. In 2014, they found a family of beavers living in the River Otter in Devon. Irony. And beavers, they thought, were extinct in the 16th century. So where did those beavers come from? I think you can't really hide the bears, though. Bears mm. are bigger than beavers. Yes, that's right. So Not there probably disagree. aren't any hidden bears. <laughs> Here's a question from Carl in Bristol, who says, I've recently been catching up on back episodes of Answer Me This with my husband while renovating the spare bedroom into a kinky sex dungeon. Yeah, you are. Uh, as we both enjoy a bit of alternative slap and tickle. I like the fact that you both enjoyed the same thing enough that you can agree on what your spare room's going to become. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you never hear it mentioned in empty nest syndrome discussions, do you? <laughs> <laughs> should, it, should it be a gym or a dungeon? <laughs> well, I want a cross trainer. <laughs> yeah, but my dungeon. While sorting through our fairly extensive selection of equipment, all right, Carl, no need to boast, I began to ponder... Helen, answer me this. Why do people find some materials, such as rubber or leather, inherently more kinky or sexual than others? You tell me, Carl. (laughs) I have such a boring life. Uh, After all, says Carl, a rubber shirt is still just a shirt. In your household, maybe. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wear it to work. Uh, And rubber, in this context, is just another type of fabric. Well, it isn't, though, because uh, it's not woven. I think, firstly, rubber and leather... They feel better to the touch than most woven fabrics, which have a bit of drag on them and are a bit rougher. Mm. You know, they feel like a, a second skin. 
in leather that is literally the case and that's a lot to do with it it's a second skin but it's it's like a better version of that skin because it's it's no matter what age you are it's it's going to be smoother and more taut than your real skin and it's it's going to be even toned it's not going to have freckles or spots or scars or or bristles and it's usually worn tight so it's not wrinkly or baggy. Well, is there any choice but to wear it tight? Well, you could wear a baggy... A baggy rubber suit. Rubber suit. It would probably be quite noisy. But generally, people wear it tight. And um, and that's something for spectators as well. That's very revealing of the body. And um, I think a lot of wearers, they enjoy that feeling of confinement. Yeah, the, the confinement thing is the thing that I jump to immediately. It's that... It ties in, doesn't it, with a, a slightly kind of S&M bondage vibe. Well, exactly. I think Carl is wondering, perhaps whether these fabrics are inherently more attractive or whether it's just the association with BDSM or leather daddies, which I think evolved out of biker culture with like military undertones. There's even some police connotations as well of wearing leather. I guess you kind of have to be lubricated in and out of it as well, Mm. don't you? Which itself for some people, I suppose, is a sexy thing. It is uh, also a shiny surface uh, for liquids. And for some people, that is a big thing. Yeah. The bodily excretions. To me... It just smells a bit like quick fit. But <laughs> some, some people Some people a, like the smell that yeah. and crotch sweat is like their yeah. favourite smell. Could it just be like stepping into a different uniform? Like that when you change your appearance that radically, you become this more liberated person and you can drop some of your inhibitions because you're playing a character who is I don't know, covered in rubber. But also, like if you wear fabric that tight on your body as people wear rubber it's not going to look that good it's just going to look too tight rather than skin tight so maybe that's an element of it as well and it's not as mobile as these things where they they fit you so well that you can get a decent amount of lunging in say if it was cloth it'd probably just tear i'd imagine that loads of listeners can tell us more accurately because none of us are sitting here wearing rubber or leather right now well use your imaginations Oh yeah, maybe sorry. I am wearing rubber. Yeah, or leather. but you'd been able to hear it squeaking. I think. Well, you don't know. All you can see is that I'm wearing a fleecy top and uh, some Debenhams what chinos. What lies beneath? You don't know what lies beneath. I could be wearing rubber pants, but I guess you're not. Well, that is the end of our tenth birthday episode of Answer Me This. Next time, no birthday cake, no balloons, no presents, just <laughs> the hard grind for just... another decade. <laughs> yeah. Please do supply us questions for the next decade of the show. <laughs> oh wow! Now you know some of the mechanism. As we were talking about earlier in the show, you can. Uh, I, I hope that doesn't make you feel extra pressure that you have to. No, you just ask questions the to questions that matter to you, and we'll sift through the ones that aren't any good. We'll put the good ones in the show. You don't yeah, need to worry about that. That's what editing's for. Our contact details are on our website. Answermethispodcast.com Whereupon you can also find links to buy our first 200 episodes and our apps and our merchandise and our book our and our albums. albums. Yes, answer and... me this, love, if you're already getting in the mood oh, yes. for Valentine's Day. Gosh, not far now, is it, till Valentine's Day? There's always time for love. Uh, love was our original album for 2016, so it's only a year old. Never yeah. going to be released for free on the feed. It's an hour of us talking about love and romance and sex and squidgy stuff. Yeah. Genitals. Balls. Um, Happy 10th birthday. Happy 10th birthday, Ollie. Happy 10th birthday. I know that we haven't gone for a momentous celebration, but I do feel pretty happy right now. It's it's an achievement, isn't it, of sorts? It is. (laughs) (laughs) Do you tell my mum that? Because she's still dubious about that achievement. One day, someone else will recognise that. (laughs) Anyway, bye! Bye! Ten years! Ten years!